0: This is the Italian American podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We do that by speaking to Italian Americans in all different age ranges, professions, and locations. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, want to have with me my co-host, Dolores Alfieri. And for this episode, we traveled out of studio to catch up with John Viola, former president of the National Italian American Foundation. And John gave us a really interesting perspective on where he sees the Italian American community heading in the future. Dolores, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, Anthony. I'm doing well. Um, yeah, today's episode, we're talking to one of my favorite people, to be honest. And uh, as you'll hear in the conversation, John's uh, particularly special to us, as longtime uh, listeners know, because he's really been so supportive of us and through the National Italian American Foundation has really helped the Italian American podcast to grow. So it's always great to catch up with John and talk to him about all things Italian American.
0: All right. So let's get into this interview with John because it was a good one. But before I introduce John a little more formally, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mediaset Italia, which is now on Direct TV from AT&T. When your heart is in Italy, but you're here, bring a piece of Italy home. Introducing Mediaset Italia from Direct TV. It's perfect for anyone who loves all things Italia. Enjoy your favorite Italian programs from channels Canale 5, Italia 1, and Rete 4 on Mediaset Italia. And best of all, you get your favorite entertainment including shows like Caduta Libera, Mattino Cinque, and Squadra Antimafia. Feel like you're home again with Mediaset Italia on DirecTV from AT&T. Introducing Mediaset Italia from DirecTV. Get Mediaset Italia for $10 a month plus taxes. Call 877 877- seven seven eight four seven nine four to get media set italia from direct tv again that's eight seven 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 eight four seven nine four. media set italia requires activation of a qualifying base package hardware available separately at additional cost programming subject to change at any time other fees restrictions and conditions apply call for details and like i always say watching tv In Italian is a great way to practice your Italian and to kind of just keep listening to it and keep hearing, talking, hearing, talking. That's how you can really get a language. All right. So now let me introduce our guest for today's episode. You've heard him on the podcast many times before with his NEF intros. John M. Viola was elected president of the National Italian American Foundation in March of 2013 and served in that role until December 2017. A graduate of Fordham University with a dual degree in sociology and anthropology, Viola has dedicated... Himself to developing international and domestic service programs inspired by the Jesuit mission to create men and women for others and to infuse a sense of social justice into all acts. He is a knight of the Order of Merit of Savoy and serves as the United States delegate for the sacred military Constantinian Order of St. George, one of the oldest chivalric orders in the world. A native of Brooklyn, New York, he traces his ancestry to the Vallo di Diano in the province of Salerno, Puglia, and Sicily. All right, so now to bring us into this interview with John, I'm going to kick it back to Dolores for a quote.
1: Yes, Anthony, I think this quote from Helen Keller really sums up John's philosophy, especially when it comes to working with the Italian-American community, and I think it really sums up our own as well. Alone, we can do so little. Together, we can do so much.
0: Okay,
1: everyone, we are here in New York City. I'm here in uh, an office with Anthony, of course, and with John Viola, who you have all heard of uh, at the beginning of every episode for many episodes now. And we are sitting with John, who is... Officially, the former president of the National Italian American Foundation. And we wanted to sit down with John as his reign, if I may, (laughs) wraps up uh, or has wrapped up at NIAF. And we just wanted to sit down with him. He was at NIAF for six years, and we wanted to talk to him about what he has learned about our community, uh, its past, its present, and its future. John, thanks for taking the time to meet with us.
2: Always good to be with you guys and to be with friends and talk about the stuff we care about.
1: John, we're going to miss you as uh, you know the president of the foundation, of course. But we know that we will we will remain in touch. To start, do you want to tell us kind of how it feels to have how many weeks now? A week, two weeks? It's
2: been about a week and a half.
1: So yeah. it's still very new for you.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm ten days out of the job that defined me for the last almost six years, and. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily sunk in yet. Yeah, I think I've realized coming out of this that every time that I told people that this was not a job, it was a vocation, mm-hmm. is very much true because I don't feel any different than I did 10 days ago. Uh, I'm just short, a very capable staff, and a nice budget to get the stuff done <laughs> that I want to do. So, you know, I, I, these are still the issues that I care about and still the stuff that I think about in my free time. So I think President of NIAF was a great short title to define who I've always been and who I think I always will be.
1: Right. You leave there the same person, well, being passionate about the yes. same things. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you're not the same person you were when you went in.
2: No, definitely not. Definitely. I think I'm in many ways a completely transformed person, but I think that the passion that I brought to my uh, my start there in 2012, in, in early 2012, has only grown and, and evolved like all good things. And uh, I think I've learned a little bit more about this community that I set out to serve. And uh, I would never be able to draw out of myself this desire to serve this community. So I I know this is my life's purpose and uh, my best use of my passion. So I'll continue to pursue that.
1: And were you the youngest president NIF has ever had?
2: Oh, by like multiple decades. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I got hired at 28, and I became the president at 29. So, it's going to be a long time yeah. before they can find somebody, uh, I think, to challenge that that title. I mean, my hope is, you know, the foundation still in an executive search or beginning an executive search for a replacement. My hope is that there is somebody. I mean I would love to see somebody yeah. just steal that title away and and be young and be uh, engaged because I think these institutions in our community are frankly really in need of, of young leadership because when you be by the the regular model is you you grow in stature, you grow in accomplishment and then you get active in your community and you lend your reputation and your resources and frankly your personality and stature to what you're doing and that's great we need the 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 brightest lights in our community to lend themselves to what we're doing but at the same time when you get people together sometimes you fall into the trap of people thinking about the community in the lens of what they've experienced in that long life building their, their their careers and their reputations And I think for these organizations to be pertinent and to lead us to the future, the people on the ground in charge need to be thinking about today's generation and future generation. So my my hope is that the next person uh, maybe does give me a run for my money on that that age.
0: Well, I I think that there's definitely some value in, you know, I mean, having people with different perspectives, I think is, of course, important. I mean, John always talks about the community evolving. Community is evolving, right? It's not not good or bad, it evolves and things change and you kind of need to flex with it if you want to grow the community.
1: Yeah.
0: And engaging people of different ages, I think, helps you to be able to bring people of different ages together. I mean, like, if you don't have a community, it's not going to be all 20-year-olds or or all 30-year-olds or all 40-year-olds. So there's got to be a way to, like, kind kind of tie people together. And, I mean, that's kind of what we tried to do through the podcast. It's funny because I think when we started the podcast, I was kind of thinking, like, It's probably only going to be younger people listening because, you know, I mean, older people, no offense to anyone that's older, but (laughs) I mean, you know, I was actually at my grandma's the other day. The modern
1: technology. Yeah, I was at yeah. my
0: grandma's the other day and my wife and we're sitting there and my grandma's like, Anthony, how's your pod post doing?
1: <laughs> and I look, at,
0: I look at my wife and we're both smiling and I say, Grandma, my pod post is going great." And uh, cute. But the funny thing is we have actually people that are we do. older that listen to the show and we do have younger people too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, kind of to, to John's point is we need younger people and we need people to bring everybody together because – you know, the older people have different experiences that we want to learn about, but Absolutely. we have new ideas and new interests and we should try to be telling them about them too and telling, you know, our kids. So,
1: Well, and I think the important and remarkable and even, John, you would never use this term, but I'll use it, even historical aspect of your time at NIAF is that really our community has been very traditionally led by the older generation in terms of these organizations and this was kind of a, de- not kind of, it was a departure from that and important because without that youthful energy, that youthful mindset, it's very hard to bring in young people. And that's why you hear so much about groups like Sons of Italy and Unico kind of lamenting that their, their, uh, membership is dwindling because most of the leadership is, is older. And, it's just a fact that young people tend to want to hang out with, you know, other young people and be in that vibrant mindset. Um, I think the best model is what you're saying though Anthony where it's a, it's a mix of every generation. It's like the best Sunday dinner you can have, right? Yes. It's it's the young kids, the little little kids running around screaming, the teenagers, the older people all together.
2: Because our pursuit, right, is is culture and it's identity. And identity is alarmingly today, something that you can define on your own. And you could, you know, you, I, I always say like I could go online and figure out how to be a, a Swedish person and I can learn enough and and, and sort of virtually be there to, to feel like a Swedish person. But that's not the real sort of definition of identity. Identity is usually collective. I mean, you know, you go to, uh, Comic Con and you realize how collective and and tribal identity is. It's made stronger and more dynamic by the fact that you share it with people. And my father always used to say to me, you know, you you can't do the things you love alone because one times one is always one. Like that's not what we're pursuing here. And I think our identity is rooted in community and neighborhood and a shared experience. So all of those things... Are definitional to what it is, so you have to be able to come back to that. So I think for me, you know, I always heard when I got to my job at the foundation, a lot of people would describe these experiences with other Italian American organizations, um, local clubs, and things, where they'd say, you know, we, we don't have enough young members. Let's have a young members' night, and so they would have a young members' night, and the older members would get these young kids in the room and introduce them to what they were doing and hope that they would join. And halfway through, they'd be upset that they were loud enough to disrupt their Brichgill game, and they would want them out of the room. And it's like, that's that's <laughs> not how it works either. And, exactly. You no, know, I that was a big fear of mine. And in the six years that I was at the Foundation, I think, particularly the past couple of years, we've been able to create an environment in the events that we did where, miraculously, in many ways, you had everybody there in the room yes. like those great Sundays. And I remember looking through a picture, uh, looking through our our, our pictures after last year's gala, looking for a picture to encapsulate what I was trying to explain in an article that I wrote about how multi-generational experience was. And I found a picture from our Friday night event where the entire room was up dancing the tarantella together, which I never would have expected could have happened at at an event for an organization. Yeah, Thank God for for Michela. Yeah, she was a miracle. And I was really nervous when we put her up there. And then, you know, you helped me bring her to the table. And I was super nervous. I said to myself, okay, either this is going to be great or I'm going to, you know, drop a big egg on myself here. And so I hid behind the curtain. And to
1: John's credit, he didn't tell me any of this until afterwards. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I never want (laughs) to show how nervous I am until afterwards. It's good to say I was nervous, right? You look, and if... So I I, I, mean, I went behind the curtain uh, when she came up, and I remember her being introduced, and I remember her saying, okay, we're going to lead a tad and tell. And I thought, okay, either people are going to love this, or I'm going to walk out from this curtain, and my board of directors is going to murder me, because I'm going to be sitting there stone-faced, watching one person, tad <laughs> and tell. And I got out, and there was everybody up yep. on, the, on the floor. And we, we got this picture. Our photographer got this picture. And there was this lady. It was great. She was like so... Italian looking. She had a white bun and she had two little Italian American flags in her hand. And she looked like she just came out of a piazza in Italy. So I don't know how she got to our event, but here she was and she's holding hands with these young kids and it says it all, because they're all having the exact same experience and, and they're doing it together and nobody feels like they don't belong there. And that's what we are pursuing. A safe, great feeling of celebrating who we are and everybody feeling like they belong. Our community is not going to continue and grow and evolve in a healthy way if there are segments that don't feel like they belong. That's right. If people feel like it's too rich, they're not going to feel comfortable. If they feel like it's too poor, they're not going to feel comfortable. If they feel like too old, too young, you know, that's the thing with the neighborhoods. Right. If you're really going to pursue this neighborhood or a family, whatever the model is, right. there are people that you don't share the same interest with in your family and in your neighborhood, but they're there and they add to the flavor of it. They add to the experience and they create alternative windows for you to, to view the world. And, and if you compartmentalize down to where they're not there, nothing can really grow, you know, fertilizing the soil. And, and you know, you, you need that. You need diversity, even within a specific ethnic enclave to make the experience more dynamic, more fruitful, more rich for everybody yeah. else.
1: It's not about the younger generation taking over the older generation. It's not about, you know, the initiatives that you and I, Anthony, are doing to kind of uh, replace, but it's about adding to it so that it it, it stays a family, a community, and it remains relevant and, and vibrant. Yeah, I mean, I think
0: I think what we always talk about is it's important for the older generations to pass things down yeah. and teach people where we came from. But it's also important to let the younger person then take that information and, you know, kind of sit with it in their own way, whatever that means. Like maybe they want to learn about it from a podcast and they're not sitting around the table with someone. It just depends. But the right. point is, is we still, I mean, we want to hear what people experience. We want to know the history. But then what younger generation does with it, it's, it's interesting. I am mean, interested to see. I mean, you know, it's gonna be different. I mean, I think we need
2: to we, I mean we need to make the connection.
1: Right. It can't just be about the history. It has to be about the now.
2: Yeah. Well because you what you I mean like my, my, my academic background is is anthropology. So I think I tend to think through this stuff from an anthropological perspective. And like when you pass culture on, when you pass it down, you're not passing down a relic that is a sacred sort of vessel. So like we always have to be, and I think we've talked about this even the first time you guys came to meet with us at the foundation sort of the sacred and the profane, right? You got to remember what the sacred is. It's the ritual that gets you there. Sometimes it is okay to evolve that. So like when you pass down culture, you're not passing down something that's set in stone and ossified and is a fossil that's to be looked at and observed, but never lived. You're passing down something living. So it's going to evolve and it's going to change. And if you can pass it on and the younger generation is receptive because they want to be there, they, they they desire this culture, they feel good in this culture, and they want it to be something that they continue living, they're going to respect what the prior generation has passed to them. And I think the prior generation should respect that these things that they love will only live if they're evolved for the next exactly. generation. That's a good so, way to put it. Yeah, it's very important that people all understand. Our culture is... A continuously flowing river. It's not set in stone. We we don't have to do. You know, it's like if you inherit a dress from your grandmother and she passed it to your mother, and you know maybe your mother hemmed it to be more in fashion uh, a decade ago, and then you cut off the sleeves because it's more in fashion now. It's still the same dress, and it's still got all of the same great energy okay, to exactly. it, and it's still an heirloom. It's just evolved, and that's okay. And not only is that okay that's the only way the dress survives because you ain't going to wear a dress from 1950. It's going yeah, on right. a closet and it could still have a lot of sentimentality. You can feel great about it, but it's not coming out of the closet. So if you want to take this culture out of the closet and live it, we all have to be comfortable with the idea that that's how heirlooms survive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. It's kind of like what we always talk about is I could sit there and tell my kids like, you know, when I was your age used to go to my grandma's every Sunday in her basement with 50 people and have dinner, pasta and, and meat and everything. And, I could tell them that and that's fine, but what really, I really want to tell them is why we did it, which right. is, you know, keeping the family together, seeing everyone on a regular basis and, you know, hopefully they'll decide to do something to make that happen. It doesn't have to be Sundays, it doesn't have to be dinner, yeah. you know, they can come exactly. up with their own way, but the point is, is if we don't explain what, you know, what we were doing and why we did we it,
1: behind it, you know,
0: and, and then, you know, we're not going to go get mad at them because they're not getting together on Sundays. We just hope, like you said, the, the river's going to flow. Maybe they'll take it and do something to keep the family together.
1: Yeah, for them it might be with, with the way life is now. It might be once a month. Oh
0: mm-hmm. well, yeah, and it, it could might be, be, on be getting, on getting online once a week and exactly. It could be anything to yeah. keep like some kind of their own tradition.
1: That's right. That's right. But
0: I think I, the point I, is, is we shouldn't get you don't get mad at someone because they're not doing it the same way. You're trying to teach yeah. them to just continue to do something to keep the culture and the family and everything rooted together. Absolutely.
2: You know, for my family, like we this year at the gala, one of the things that we gave out in a gift bag. Was wooden spoons, which are iconic to our what? community, obviously, and and, <laughs> and they said, "Make Sunday Italian again," which is obviously a play on the president's uh, slogan of making America great again, and that came about really organically because my family and I were sitting down one Sunday and an all too rare Sunday where most of us were together, and saying, "Wow, it's really interesting because we all, you know, with the exception of me, who, who was then at the foundation and now am in fact back working with my family." And my, my one brother was working in one of our family offices in Texas and the other was working in a family office in Florida. And my parents are always all over the place. and My wife and I are all over the place. And we said, well, you know, we're very blessed to be from a family that has the opportunity to live a very nice life. And my parents had built these businesses that have allowed us to live that life. But at the same time, they're also would have then drawn each of us to these different cities to be part of them. And when it all comes down to it, what we're fighting for is the life style, the life um, values that we had in the beginning, right? So we're fighting to get back where we came from. And so the idea that we, we joked about, this was during the campaign, somebody in my family said, you know, we have to make that effort to make Sunday Italian again. And we, we laughed, and I went out and I made red hats, and <laughs> we wore them. And, and, we, and we made that effort to, to, wherever we were, to be together on as many Sundays a month as we could. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a shot in the dark every month. You know, some months you get one, some months you get four. But when I brought that into conversation at the foundation, a lot of the board members really saw the value in it. And and as we started to talk about this great idea of making Sunday Italian again, we realized what we were really saying was something that was applicable to the entire country, which was just make the family important again, make the family at the center again in a world where it's increasingly easy to just be an individual. And it's almost you have to make an extra effort just to do the things that were survival back uh, a generation ago you, you needed your family to survive now you, you can just float through the world feeling like you're alone and so the fight is not necessarily to pass down we must be here on sunday we must eat manioc first and then this <laughs> and that and the other but to say hey the family's got to be at the center of who we are that's what we're really working on
1: that no matter how how demanding life gets like that should be the center that continues to draw you back you know at least you're attempting you keep it attempt- so it's like um You're trying to get into a workout regimen, you know, like some days you don't make it to the gym. That doesn't mean you stop trying to get to the gym. It's kind of like a similar idea yeah. and it's, it's not supposed to be very strict. Like it doesn't have to be Sunday. Exactly. It can be whatever you can make it. I've talked about on the show before we used to do Sunday dinners. My family, you know, we're older, everybody has families, everybody's working. Now we do, well, it's been for many, like 20 years now we do Mondays. Yeah. It just Sunday was whatever hard, worse. yeah. yeah whatever works, you know. Still and
0: serves the same. Yeah, well, I think John really hit it on the head: is that it's not what the traditions; it's the values that they're facilitating. So it could be a different. The tradition might look different, but at the core, you're trying to get the same values. Exactly. You're trying to, you know, and that's really, I think, that's important. I mean, even like you said, for families, you know, keeping the families together, like, keeping the values. I mean, in today's world, like unfortunately. More times than not, it doesn't happen, right? Families can't keep yeah. the values. Kids are all over the place. There's phones now. They're doing this. They're doing that. So you got to work hard to do it. And you know, I think that's a big part of the future for our community. Is if we work together as a community, we can try to make it. We want to. I think like you want to make it easier for families to, to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like for me, that's part of the reason I I went to college studying, intending to study history and coming out studying anthropology, because I, st- I realized pretty quickly after a few anthropology courses that I was studying history from the perspective of things that happen, and I was studying anthropology from the perspective of why did these things happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, you guys both know that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty devout Catholic, and I love Mass. I go to Mass almost every day, and I fell in love with Mass for a lot of reasons, And but I don't want to get into a theology conversation. But one of the reasons I fell in love with Mass is because I started to get into the history of what the mass is and so mass is great and traditions are great and ritual is great but it's it's one thing to do them because they have been done and it's another thing to dig deeper and understand why they're done so like when i go to mass now because i've been able to study it and i've I've made friends who have have explained it to me and and worked with me and opened up my eyes to where liturgy comes from there's, I'm experiencing it on 20 dimensions. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm understanding that in this ceremony, we are not just doing it because it's been done for a thousand years, we're doing it because it represents this and it comes from this. So why can't we give people that same sort of insight into their own culture? Right. And, and say, okay, this is why these things happen. You know, why do we eat mm-hmm. X, Y, and yeah. Z? Well, we yeah. eat X, Y, and Z because yeah. these are the ingredients we got here. And here's what the recipes we took. And that's why people, I believe so many of the young people in our community are doing things actively to pursue that same question, maybe not even aware of the yeah. question they're pursuing. So like I think of our our mutual friend Rosella Rago, who's got cooking with Nona, and like, you know, she's going out and, and getting to these recipes. and and she's doing it for a lot of the right reasons and you know, keep these recipes alive and tell these women's stories and tell these family stories. But at the same time, what she's giving us in this critical mass of information, is the inflection points and similarities in our community story as to why these people did these things. Why did we cook X, Y, and Z? And why did we do it this way? And, you know, you get to the deeper whys uh, when you do the research and when you do the due diligence. And so for those of us that are into doing that, uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great quest to pass it on to other people.
1: Yeah. And it strengthens all, uh, attempts and drives to kind of keep these traditions going, basically. When you when you know that deeper why behind it, like you said, it's not just because oh well, we always did it this way. That's a lot easier to ignore. But when you have a deep sense of why this is important, you'll go that extra mile when you're kind of exhausted because modern life is really busy and draining. Yeah. To yeah to to get your family together on a Sunday, even if it's you know one Sunday that month. But I did want to just back up a little bit and kind of ask you, John, why did you? I mean, you may have already answered this question indirectly, but why did you want this role at NIAF? Why did you even want to get into this in Uh, that way?
2: That's a good question. You know, when I was growing up, I I sought out NIAF and other organizations that I participated in and continue to participate in because I loved the idea of an institutional community that I could be a part of. And I, I thought... First and foremost, I enjoyed the opportunities that they provided to be with other Italian-Americans. I always loved the sense that when a good amount of Italian-Americans were together, the world just felt ordered. Like, you know, everybody was sort of familiar with uh, each other's values and... Yeah. Uh, uh, traditions again. We'll come back to the word and 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 stories and the way things were and 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 even deeper, like the the sounds of how people spoke and the the smells of what we were eating and the music. And so f- for me, the world felt ordered when I was amongst my own people. And I and I, I think that's I okay that. to say. Like I, yeah. you know, I mean, I think it's like, it's a safety that comes from the familiar and 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 the warmth that. that clearly all of us have inherited around our culture. People feel good about it. That, that's why we're such a large self-identified group, even this deep into our immigrant experience. So for me, at first and foremost, it was this love that I, I knew from a young age that these institutions could be that place because I've, we're all aware, for better or worse, our communities evolved out of living in you know homogenous neighborhoods. That's a natural progression in this country. You don't have those places. I mean, we all go back to our neighborhoods. I go back to my neighborhood in Brooklyn, but it's not going to stay the same. And that's okay. But if you could create venues for people to come together, you know, we all lose family members and we lose the stores that we love or these kind of touchstones, but you kind of get alternative versions when you're around such a critical mass of, of your own culture. So I loved that. And I loved that that was something that these, organizations could provide. And then I love the really deep, extensive stuff that they could do in academia and in in philanthropy and uh, for students and for, for those in need. So I just was sort of a groupie for these, these groups. And, um, when the opportunity came up and the foundation was looking for an executive director, uh, 2011, I knew it, I'd been familiar with it. My my family had been involved. My my dad had joined the board. So I kind of knew the leadership and I just felt like and to be really fair, I sort of begged for the job. I mean, I went in front of the board of directors and there were, frankly, many of them who just couldn't see a 28-year-old taking that responsibility. And I went down to Florida. They told me, do not come down. Nobody's making a decision. And the process was, and I was like, okay, I'm going anyway. And they let me speak. And I sort of said, okay, guys, here's where I think I see our community going. And here's where I'd like to take the foundation with you. And here's where I'd like to add some vision. And I think enough of them sort of said, "Okay, let's roll the dice on this young guy. And, you know, hopefully we did some of what we set out to do. But for me, it was a matter of I just loved the potential of what these groups could do. And I wanted to be at the uh, at the heart of it
1: you know, that was going to be another question was how did you convince the old guard to let you in, you know, because it's, because it is historical. It's really not something that's been done. Um, I personally believe it's something that should be done more often, but that's another conversation. Um, you know, was it just your charismatic pitch to them?
2: I mean, I had a lot of people who knew me and knew that I was a total devotee to this stuff. So I knew the organization pretty well and um, they knew that this was the kind of this was my life. I spent my free time on this stuff. I was always right. pursuing it. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think I had a lot of people who were very supportive of the idea. And frankly, I think I can say now, the past three chairs that, that NIAV has had, Joe Del Rosso, um, now are the co-chairs of the organization, Gabe Batista and Pat Harrison, in the six years that I worked for those three people, we, we had many many disagreements, and uh, we had many more agreements. But I have to always give them credit. They were three of the loudest voices from the first moment of my interest in this to to, to push for me and to advocate for me and to really fight for this case. Uh, you know, I think Gabe was the first person to say, hey, this would be a really interesting opportunity for you. And Joe and Pat really championed the case for me with any of the people that were sort of on the fence. And so I don't think it took long for people to see that um, – yeah, there's a lot of risk. And I think there are things that, that could have been done better by somebody with more experience. I think that that's always going to be the case. There's, you know Anybody who's got a job is going to have 10 people out there that can do other aspects better. But I think people um, understood that at the end of the day, a foundation like NIAF can celebrate all the great stuff that it does and all the wonderful events and money it raises and people it helps. But at the end of the day, it's only going to remain if it's got heart and soul. And they could see that I was, if I wasn't bringing experience or if I wasn't bringing expertise in some areas, I was bringing heart and soul. And that's what these people come to the board for. So it's, it's we quickly touch each other on an emotional level. And it um, wasn't that hard to convince people to, to let me take a shot at it.
1: Well, you've described this job as your dream job. So now I have to ask you, why are you leaving it? <laughs> why am I
2: leaving uh, Well, I, you guys know better than anybody. I mean, you know, I, I'm recently married. Um, my wife is here in New York. And I think, you know, we'd like to start our own little Italian-American organization at some point uh, in, in creating a family. Um, my family's been really supportive of me. We're here in my, my family office right now. Next door, uh, a wall away, is my younger brother who has done uh, yeoman's work to be, uh, both of us in our family businesses for 10 years or six years that I was at NIAF to allow me to not have to worry about family responsibilities and to go down and give myself. Um, so from a personal perspective, I I think, you know, there was a lot that made it prohibitive for me to be in Washington and from an institutional perspective, you know, maybe, uh, it was just time for the organization to go in a different direction. I think, um, there's a lot that NIAF can do and, uh, rightfully so should do that maybe wasn't my expertise and wasn't in my wheelhouse. And, you know, it's good for an organization as large and important to the community as NIAF to, 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 to turn leadership every now and again. I mean, I was there six years. I didn't even think I'd be there that long. I mean, I think it's, sometimes it's good to not rest on your laurels and and not make it a lifetime appointed position. You know, you 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 use the word sort of tongue in cheek reign, and and you don't want to reign. You know, you you want to you want to lead from the center, and you want to you want to be a servant leader, and you want to be at the bottom of of the pyramid and not the top. And uh, I think that requires just a new influx of ideas and, and a new influx of, uh, of vision sometimes. I mean, I, I could have gladly stayed at that position for the rest of my life. Would that have been the right thing for me and my family? Probably not. And would it have been the right thing for the organization? Probably not. So this is a very hard decision that I had to come to. Um, and I came to it with the board leadership. And so, you know, I, I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes having dreams that I've convinced them that I want to come back and, you know, uh, and then we're only 10 days into this. Uh, of course I, I've known for six months right. or whatever right. it is this that was coming, this was yeah. coming. So I've had a lot of time to therapize myself, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a decision that I really feel at the end of the day is probably best for everybody involved, but it's not an easy one.
1: think that's well said. I mean, I, as somebody who knows you relatively well, I mean, it's, it's like breaking up with somebody, amicably and it's the right time, but it's not like you're, you know, sometimes you leave a job and you're like, sweet and going on to the next thing and it's fine. It's exciting. And I know that you, I mean, I have no doubt that whatever's coming next for you is going to be amazing, but I of course can tell it's not easy to leave there. It's been, it's been a long uh, time and you've done so much and so many people have really appreciated what the work you've done there. I mean, we've said this in the show, of course, but, um, we're Connected with Naif because of you, and I don't. I, I'm going to say that I don't think that if it was an older uh, president at the helm, that that president would have recognized. Yeah, right. John was very
0: receptive to getting involved with the podcast and working with us. Right, and And because of that, exactly.
2: You know, but it may not be as black and white as age. You know, I, I, I like. I've worked with some amazingly dynamic people that have been around for a long time and are consistently on the forefront of what's going on. I mean, I, you know, I, I look at my dad. My dad's reinvented himself a hundred times in his career. It's not a matter of age. I, I think what connects us is not, you know, you're the first podcast I ever downloaded. So. And I think, again, this is going to show how old-fashioned I am. Is the word even download? Like, I, I subscribe to whatever it is, you know? But, you know, I was listening to a pro wrestling podcast in the car on the way here. So thanks to you guys, I've got like 10 of them on my phone. But, you know, so it wasn't like I was some great advocate for podcasts. But when you came to me and we were talking about what you're doing, what I saw was a kindred spirit, which was somebody who was going out using their passion to build a platform that made people feel good and safe. And like you said, you were shocked by the diversity of the demographic that downloaded yeah. and became your audience. And like, so, you know, there might have been somebody in my seat who was 75 who, who looked at you two and said, oh God, you've got the same passion for people. That's what this is all about. That I, I say this constantly and I think it gets lost because it, it sounds like a soundbite, but like, you know, NIAF, any of these institutions, OSIA, UNICO, they ain't curing cancer. They're not building homes for the homeless. They're a venue to do good things. They're a venue for people to come together and feel great. And in that great feeling to raise money, raise support, work together and do really good things for our own people and for everybody else. So at the end of the day, it's all just about feeling good. It's all just about feeling celebrating something great, which is loving your family, your values and your community and what you come from. So, that's what drew me to what you guys are doing. So I don't know if it's necessarily an age thing when it comes to seeing when a new idea is presented to you, you should at any age be open and receptive to it if you're still working for the right reasons.
1: Yeah. I know what you're saying. And yeah. it's probably a way more uh, eloquent way to say what I was trying to say. Mental youth at least. Yeah. So not well, your numerical age, but you know, your mental age.
0: Yeah, and I think the I think the theme here that I think we're hearing in the last 20 minutes or so is it's not about age, experience level, but it's really coming down to, comes down to passion, right? Like you asked John, well, how could you sell yourself as a 28-year-old to a board of people? I mean, they, John got up there and they saw his passion, right. right? I mean, like we had a conversation with John about the podcast. And I think we kind of all knew that we were passionate about the same thing. So, you know, to me, I mean, it just seems like passion is always something that you want to roll the dice on. Right? Yeah. when it comes to like you know, it when it comes to like betting on like the future and the community and I think that for everybody listeners included is that you know it's all of our community that we have to think about going forward and I think you know any ways that we can bring that passion together and just see where it takes us we don't have to define something right now but if you just get with the right people, right, and you yeah. put yourself in the right atmosphere.
1: And we've learned that just by doing the show. I mean, yeah. just the, the friends we've made and the uh, sure. situations we've been in, you just kind of put yourself there. And, it, and it's almost like your passion takes you uh, to places you didn't even imagine you were going to go to yeah. you know, in that way.
2: And that's why all these groups were started. I mean, every group from the oldest in, in the Sons of Italy to... NIF, which is one of the youngest, you know, they were started by passionate people who got together and and, and connected with other passionate people and said there's a, a service that that our community needs or a role that our community needs filled. And we see it, we all share that vision that we all see what's there and what's needed. and, and we, we let's talk about sharing a vision to get there. And so if we were on a podcast for you know car sales, It'd be a much different thing. We'd be talking about trends and statistics and what sells and you know just group tests and things like that. But we're not. We're, we're talking our product in any of these venues, in any of these pursuits, is the end person, the end user. So that's why we, one of the things we did at at, at NIAF when I was there was this initiative: "We are NIAF." And the idea was like, guys as much as our scholarships are great and our programs are dynamic, we are our membership our, our and, and not, not even just the paying membership, but the collective people who participate. So you and your, your brand and your podcast as part of the NIAF family is NIAF that, that is what we present to the world. This great collection of people who really care. And when they come together can do really, really cool and good stuff and keep this culture evolving and alive and, and, and real in people's lives.
1: Absolutely. You know, John, you six years dealing with a board dealing with the community in such a extreme way. I mean, you were in it. What are some of the frustrations you hit up against? What are, you know, we talk sometimes about how we, we really try to be very positive on the show, but every now and then we're like, we should do a show about vendettas. <laughs> you know, we should yeah, do a It show, is the Italian American podcast. You know, we, <laughs> so, you know, like we should yeah. every now and then we should do a show about the not so perfect parts of our culture so i know uh you know you're you're very diplomatic and such but you know just just in a, in a way that's okay to talk about what are some of the things you hit up against in our community they're frustrating
2: oh is it uh, you know there's as much frustration as there is good right and and i'm sure it's in any job in any pursuit but i think in particular in our community there's a lot of frustration. You see it because when you have a conversation with people that are active in the community, it it usually takes about five minutes for it to turn into shared frustrations. And I, I think the biggest pain for me is some of the things that I wasn't able to accomplish because again, you know, I didn't have 30 years experience to say to people, Hey, trust me, this works. And here's the proof in the pudding. So follow me. So what I had was my passion and I had vision, I hope for something. And sometimes you can't bring people along to that. You just, you you don't have, you know, you don't build the, 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 the groundswell of support. So I think for me, you know, the the biggest frustrations are some of the things that I wasn't able to accomplish. I really wanted to bring all of the groups in the community, those, those, those historical groups, those institutional groups together more closely and, um, some and to be fair some of the groups out there were really receptive to it surprisingly so and at one point you'd have two groups and you wouldn't get the other two or you'd have one and you wouldn't get this and it just never came together and and i think with the exception of a few leaders that i've met at some of these larger groups a majority of the leadership of these organizations is missing the clear signal that the only way our community survives is together, and they'll say something to the effect of, "Yeah, well, together is a relative term, and in alliance, and okay, let's let now that I don't work for all these people anymore, let me say very clearly, alliance doesn't work, right? We we have alliances, we have organizations that bring us together in venues, and we argue and we get nothing done. We need to be completely clear here: these groups are losing membership; they are built on models that could be updated." and they're going to be much more likely to update and grow together than they are apart. So While we still have tens of thousands of members of each of these groups around the country who care, no matter what age group or demographic they are, and the brands are still somewhat uh, recognizable, why not bring them together? and find out who's doing what and where we are overlapping and where we're not and where, where we can fit like pieces of a puzzle. It doesn't have to be everybody stacked on top of each other. And, and that's, a, that's a frustration for me. We have this horrible tendency in our community to always want to be the top of the hill. And there's a lot of ego involved in it. And, and, I, and I fall into that, too. You know, I, I loved being the, the last guy to speak at an event or the president of NIAF. And, you know, um, but I wish there was a venue where we could have gotten into a room and said, hey, we've got a lot going for us in each of these groups. Let's, let's work together from here on in and stop the inefficiency of recreating each other's works. Because every time something comes up and we don't work together, we all do our version. And we just split the resources. We split the attention of the audience. We split the attention of the community. And we don't have a big enough end result to, to be effective. When we were raising money for the earthquakes in, in Emilia Romagna and then Abruzzo, the first time we did the earthquake, I said, okay, guys, NIAF's going to be different this time. We're not going to raise our own money and let every other group raise their own, and then we each give a couple of 10 grand or 100 grand or this and that, whatever. We're going to be the leaders that say, hey, let's create a, an independent venue with an independent brand. Uh, we called it Italian American Relief, and, and, and every group's going to be Listed on it, and they're going to be alphabetical, same size logo. And then everybody's going to send to their groups, and doesn't matter if a group raises fifty bucks or fifty thousand or, or five million. We're all going to get the same. And you know, the first time we did it, we got I think like sixteen or seventeen groups around the country. And then the next time we did it, we we, we got double. And you know, last year whatever it was when the earthquake hit in Abruzzo, because we built this network and because so many groups are pointing to it, that when the earthquake hit and major organizations like the red cross or the ap or brooks brothers and ferrari when they went to look for ways to help the first thing that they came up for them on google was was our italian american relief and so they helped us raise so we raised seven plus million dollars whereas the the earthquake before we raised 100 and, or two hundred fifty thousand. Uh, case new holland was another partner so you know we were able to create an ego-free leadership, and look, not every group in the community joined, and I think they all tried to do good work, and they all had great intentions. But there were other groups that were sending a hundred thousand uh, dollars for all their work when they could have partnered with us, extrapolated out to their network, and and you know, mm. it just feels like it would have been more value for the dollar.
0: Right, but but more people, you know, in the second time did so, there was some progression, yeah. which, uh, which is positive that <laughs> shows that. You know, people came along a little bit and said, you know, this makes sense, what they're doing, the vision makes sense, we should join with them.
2: Right. That, that's a frustration for me. I, I think maybe I'm not a great communicator, and I was and certainly not the, the ideal candidate to have a board of directors because I tend to be a sort of hurricane or a tornado. And it's easy for me to forget that you have to communicate and bring people along and, and show them the work, show them the math. Why, you know, like a, I always loved that uh, when you got to the higher levels of math in school you could get credit for showing your work, even if you got the wrong answer. And so I love that, but I often forget to do it. So, you know, I I wish sometimes I would have been better at communicating even to our leadership at NIAF what I was trying to do so they could see that importance because there were even sometimes there where I don't quite think everybody was on the same page as me and understanding how much we were doing uh, when we were leading without ego and leading without sort of individualism. And it would have been, nice to get them behind the value of bringing everybody together more.
1: We, you know, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying with that. I also think you, in you being so diplomatic, there's an underestimating as well that also what you're talking about is very like deeply rooted in the community. You know, we, we had like, there would be a society, you know, how many societies in just one block on, you know, in little Italy. Yeah just from different back in the day, you know, yeah. different people came from different regions. Mm-hmm. And when they got here, they stuck with that and that it definitely evolved over time. And I think what we're talking about here is just another phase yeah. of that evolution, but it's still kind of embedded in how we do things.
2: I mean, you know, it's funny, right? There's like the best and the worst. Uh, sometimes I feel like we'd rather, we come from a community where you people would rather see the organization close than seed it and its resources and leadership to somebody else. So like I think that the two stories I always go back to are like, there's a uh, mutual aid society in a community in Brooklyn that I know, and uh, that community's seen huge spikes in its real estate value. So there's a, a bylaw in most of these organizations to say like the last five members living, if the thing shrinks, have the right to sell the property and split the money. And so there's these guys who would rather not let people in watch the thing go so they could profit from it. And I'm not saying people are trying to profit. But I'm saying their, their way. They'd rather not see their way evolve out of existence. They'd rather just close. But then you look at successful cases like in Milwaukee, where you know in the 70s, they had enough really smart, dynamic, on-the-ground leadership to say, okay, guys, these groups are closing. Instead of 10 people following a saint on the feast day, let's do one major feast day together. And it evolved into the Milwaukee Italian Fest, which is the largest gathering of Italian-Americans in the country now. And you wouldn't think it would be Milwaukee. but no, they I had, didn't realize that, really. Yeah, the largest audience that comes together every year, hundreds of thousands of people, is Milwaukee. Yeah. And and th- because they had the leadership to build a shared venue while they all still had capacity. So it's, it's one thing to say, these groups have all died. Now we're going to try to revive them all together. It's another thing to say, okay, we, we, we're all sort of suffering, but let's get together in that lifeboat now. Exactly. You, you, you know, more rowers, right? More rowers. Right. And we're just going to row stronger.
1: Sure. So you know, John, as we wrap up, and I've, I've asked you about the frustrations. So let's let's kind of end it on a positive note. What are some of the positive things you've learned? And I mean, do you have any hope for the future of the community? You know, how do you feel about where we're going?
2: I mean, I always say eighteen point two million people on the last census, eighteen million people in the census before wrote the word Italian in the in the box uh, other for ethnicity. The self-identification is huge. And that's grown over time. You know, you would think that as people marry other ethnicities and uh, don't have these same venues for tradition, that it would shrink. But what tends to be, what tends to happen, at least in our community, is even the person who's not 100% Italian or not 50% Italian feels it and identifies because it's such a great thing to belong to. When you, when you get it in your life, you don't want to give it up. So, I feel great about our community because our culture is so wonderful and is so real and has survived. Frankly, if, if not assimilation, some people don't like the word assimilation, but at least integration. We're an integrated community and, and yet the culture survives. So, uh, I think our culture and, and organizations for our culture are going to be here for a long time. I think that there is going to be, um, new models for those organizations to, to thrive. And and I always say, you only survive if you know who your member is and you go to them to serve them. You can't just say, this is what we've been doing and this is what we plan to do, so come to us. That's not going to work, especially with identity as fluid as it is. But yeah, I, I feel great about who we are. I love the idea that I've been able to work with people like you guys and some of the friends that we've made through this that are in our generation and younger in some cases, and doing really wonderful stuff from passion on no budgets, grassroots because they get the value. So if there's enough crazies like us out there, <laughs> and enough people like your audience that that download and want to listen to this, or come to a NAF event, or visit our friends' websites or projects or read about it, there's enough people out there that this is real, and um, you know we're not the foundation for falconry trying to preserve a lost art we are a real and living culture and uh i think i've seen so many wonderful successes for a lot of different groups i mean i'm proud of the work that we did at NIF to bring young people to our events i'm proud of what sons of italy is doing they've got a great youth weekend that they put together and they bring these young kids out uh We've done some amazing fellowships at NIAF. I see programs at UNICO and at the Italian American Sons and Daughters and the, the work that they've done on storytelling and, and, and making our culture applicable and, and accessible uh, to so many people. And, you know, be it the stuff that people like us are doing, the stuff that the institutions are doing, I think if we all can find a venue to come together and let our ego stay at the door and recognize that when the other does good work, it's not competition, it's, it's complementary... I think we can offer members of our community wonderful ways to access something that just makes your life better and more whole. And I think we will. And, and I know we'll die trying.
1: <laughs> you know, Some days it feels that way. Oh yeah.
2: Every day. I know. I know.
0: Just as a last, just to close up here, John, you know, you just talked about, you know, the organizations, you know, getting together and sharing and how that could be helpful. Just like, with some parting words maybe for the listener who is an Italian-American, right? Like they're just part, they're part of the community and everyone is a part of the community. You know, what What words would you tell someone as far as like, you know, how to stay involved or engage with your community, um, you know, if you're not working for or on a board or something in, in an organization like this? I mean, you've met so many people now through your travels. What, what would you say?
2: That's a great question and, 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 a, and a great opportunity for sort of a call to – to, to, effort and to action. Um, you know, I would say to this audience, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what your economic situation is. Being active is everything from downloading this podcast, listening to it, to telling your stories, recording them, sharing them with your family. Um, I do think people should be involved in organizations, be they local organizations, um, National organizations, whatever it is. And at the same time, it might not be organizations that are essentially Italian American. It might be the organizations that you participate in, but bring our culture to them. You know, if you're active at the library, uh, do an event about Italian American culture. If you're in a cooking group, Italianize it, share our culture and do seek out one another. Do find the venues to communicate because Oftentimes when you love this stuff, it can feel a little bit like you're alone and you're nostalgic for something that's gone, but it's not gone. It's evolved. It it, it is like water in a river. That water that started at the source is still a thousand years later somewhere in the ocean. You know, it's been recycled around and it's gone into the environment, come down as rain, but it's still there. And don't rest on the past understand that there's somebody out there that can give you that great feeling again and somebody doing something really cool. It may be an event. It may be a podcast, maybe a club. It may be a website. It could be anything, but our culture is out there and alive and thriving and a younger generation loves it and needs it and is serving it and, and, and contributing to it. So come out and, and find it, search it out. You know, I sought out NIF IF as a 16 year old because I wanted to participate in something greater than myself. And it doesn't have to be as grand as the National Italian American Foundation. And I do hope people go out and support NIAF and, and, and become members, because we often forget that an organization that's that age, um, it does a lot of great good, but that's not automatic. It needs member support, and it needs uh, people to, to be out there and participate and lead in their communities and, and be grassroots leaders. But it's any of these groups. The more you participate... If you do it without ego, and if you do it with goodwill, and if you do it with love and passion, it's going to be infectious, and that's what's going to keep our culture alive. That's great.
0: John Viola, former president of the National Italian American Foundation, but still a proud and passionate <laughs> Italian American, and I, think, I don't think he'll ever stop being yeah. that.
2: Not until they come up with a vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, if, you're, if you're experimenting out there, call me. I, I, could, I could be a great test case.
0: So I hope you enjoyed that interview with John Viola as much as we did. John is such a bright guy, and he, just, he's, he knows so much from working in this community and being part of it since he was so young that he brings such a great perspective and, and, and he really his perspective on working together, I think is what's gonna help this community going forward. So with that, I'm gonna turn over to Dolores and she'll take us out of this one.
1: Okay, everyone, just a reminder that you can connect with us via email by visiting italianamericanexperience.com and clicking on the Join Us tab. You can also find us on social media. We're on Instagram at Italian American. We're on Twitter at italamerican. And we're on Facebook at Italian American Podcast. Con piacere!